0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Okay, welcome to After 9, I'm your host today, Eric Allen. My panel is uh, Sheldon Clare. Good morning, Eric. And James Steidel. Now what we're going to do today is we're going to finish off the uh, discussion we were having last Monday, which was on uh, police surveillance in their uh, police cars and cameras, body cameras and that type of thing. And also some of the uh, surveillance we have in the streets and in the back alleys and in the businesses and everywhere else. Like, we're totally surveilled now. And then we're going to try to get a sense of how many people being surveilled are actually just normal everyday citizens and how many are actually Member of the criminal element or something. And I think it's probably 99% normal citizens and 1%. And I think that is are way out of proportion for what they're doing. You know, a couple of people on street patrol could do the same thing. So anyway, we'll get into that and I'll probably get a speeding ticket or something here if I go too far down the road. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm going to start this off with, I uh, just want to go through the, I got a little clip here of uh, 2018 in Kelowna when the big controversy started about uh, putting cameras on the streets and I I can't or couldn't find and don't remember what the outcome of that controversy was but or how they arrived at it but the thing is they ended up with these cameras all over the place. Firstly just in certain uh, specific areas and now they're all over the province everywhere so we'll start off with uh, James on that uh,
2: Sheldon And then we'll work through it and... uh, Sure. You you know, Eric, I I do want to get into that too, but I think we probably should just take a quick second and say something about Chuck Chin, our sort of uh, photographer laureate of Prince George who uh, took his retirement hobby and turned it into a a passion for his community. I I, uh, understand he passed away on the weekend. And the community is the, much poorer for his loss. I mean, I don't know a lot of people who weren't in one of his photographs either as part of a crowd or as a participant in some kind of event. There's some owls down in the, uh, in, the in the island cache that uh, know him well, and animals, our iconic bridge. All of these were the subjects of his great photographs, and I, I know uh, I was really really just shattered to hear that he had passed away uh, on the weekend so so suddenly and so it seems unfairly and I just wanted to highlight that on community ra- radio that we lost a community icon on the weekend. Okay, thanks Sheldon and, and then to talk about the other side of their, your your point there Erica, surveillance yeah, uh, it it does feel a little bit Orwellian in some respects that everywhere you go there's a camera looking at you, I mean a lot of these things start out as personal security or uh, uh, store security. I remember in, in the old days working at the Northern Hardware, we had a big fake uh, salad bowl that Harold Moffat had drilled a bunch of holes in, and he had some old cheap camera lenses he got from Wally West, and he glued them to the salad bowl and stuck it up in the ceiling as a as a deterrent to crime. None of them were ever connected to any kind of a, a camera, but it looked pretty, and it was. Uh, it's probably still there in the ceiling down on the hardware side. But it, basically, he just took an old, <laughs> an old big salad bowl, and that uh, aim of a deterrent, the showing that you were highly sophisticated and had technology tracking criminal activity, is, is certainly one thing. But we've moved far from the, I, the, the the realm of uh, fake cameras to everyone having a camera on their doorbell, uh, everyone have, filming everything on their phones. Uh, the community having cameras on, in malls and buildings and stores and, and, and police of course also debating and, and ma- well, making use of body cameras for their own protection and for the protection of citizens ostensibly as well. So it's really become the surveillance society that, uh, I think Orwell wrote about and Kafka lamented. It's, it's kind of scary in many respects.
1: Yeah, Orwell, he's, I mean we're running 40 years late on his predictions. But you know, right on time, as far as the predictions are concerned, we're yeah. doing what he said we were doing. We're just a little late getting it done. <laughs> well, it would seem so, Eric.
2: James wants to jump
1: in. I oh, no, Just
2: say, Peter, you want to go?
3: No, uh, Just. Yeah.
2: Why don't
1: you just touch on body cameras, sir?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Just briefly. Uh, you know, it's just, a, you know, with the body cams and, uh, you know, license plates, uh, you know, photographs, and uh, anyway, the videos are everywhere and all this. It's an example of what's happening with the technology, right? The technology is rapidly advancing. But... Um, a lot of our privacy laws and privacy protections and all this are lagging far behind. And, uh, you know, I think one of the critical things is here is, uh, that people having a say in terms of what's going on in terms of the, of this, uh, extensive surveillance. That, that to me is the most important issue, right? And also the making sure that, uh, and, and fighting for, uh, better privacy legislation that can protect the citizens against this kind of uh, the overuse of it right not not to say you, you throw everything out right but uh there should be more discussion in terms of uh you know what's in place okay james you got something on this
4: yeah, yeah. um sheldon mentioned he used to work at northern hardware and how harold Moffat had these fake cameras up there but you know harold Moffat himself was a was a bit of a camera and he he caught me what he thought uh was uh myself an incident of shoplifting uh, oh james <laughs> yeah when i was a, a 14 year old kid you know i was into skateboarding i had these big baggy pants and big jack you know very suspicious character <laughs> and I'd, I'd made this little uh, aluminum um screw top kind of uh, uh, little um, candle wick thing that i made in in metalwork and it had this these little uh, extendable kind of wick that would burn the fuel that was like a survival kind of outdoor sure, little thing I made. Like I had it in my pocket, right, and I was trying to find a wick. Yeah, we used the, to sell those a, at
2: the Northern Hardware.
4: The wicks, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, Harold caught me trying to, trying to, what he thought, you know, was trying to steal something, but I was just trying out different wicks. And uh, he comes up to me and says, you know, I, I saw you put something in your pocket there. And, uh, pulled it out and he's like, what the hell is this thing? And then he helped, spent about 20 minutes helping me try to figure it out.
2: Oh, he was great that way. I, yeah. you know, I had all the time in the world for, for all those guys, the, the old, the old Moffitts, uh, you know, they would really take their time and spend it with a customer and, and they had a lot of trouble with theft. I mean, in the old days that store had the two entrances and they had high shelves. And then they, they, and I remember as a young employee saying, gosh, guys, you know, maybe we <laughs> need to have some better control. Right? But they had the front entrance, uh, the, two, the two front entrances and the back entrance. And they yeah. hired a consultant who said, yeah, you've got to close off all these entrances. It's like a sieve in here. And uh, basically, you can lower your shelves so you can see what's going on. And recommended some some also some cameras. <laughs>
1: okay yeah so, but if, okay, who needs over, who, do, hold over, on, over, who over, needs cameras to get Harold off it but I just wanted to say you uh, know we're that's, surveilling that's, the wrong people in society we want to go back to what we want to talk about which is police surveilling us driving down the oh, street Not what's there. going yeah. on yeah. In an, that was a in good hardware. segue we're not going to get there at this speed <laughs> it's not going to happen so you're driving down the street yeah. and behind you there's an RCMP deal and he can take 3,000 pictures of license plates in an hour okay so that's I don't know, twenty-four or thirty thousand a day per uh vehicle. Okay? So it takes your plate and if there's something wrong he gets a ping. So then it transfers over to another deal. If he's busy, he just puts it in this other mode, whatever it is. And then you go back to it later. So and at the end of the day they supposedly dump all the stuff that didn't ping, except some of it they get this that's gonna be kept for statistical
2: reasons now what do you suppose a statistical reason would be well eric I, I think you you hit the real concern with that whole system is that oh it sounds good that oh look you are going to find criminals we don't have to have a sticker on our license plates anymore and they just scan us and and you're cleared but the problem that comes up about that and people who say, who've done, well, if you've done nothing wrong, you shouldn't be concerned. Well, hang on a second here. What if I don't want anyone to know where I was driving at at 4.27 in the afternoon on, on a Thursday? It's nobody's business. So all of a sudden there's a record of that and this is something that is used to track my behavior, used to track where I'm going, what I'm doing, and everyone else as well. This is a huge privacy violation is what it amounts to. And Although the techno the technocrats will all say, "Well, look at how wonderful it is, that we don't have to pull people over." <laughs> well, okay, uh, you know, sure, yeah, but you know, it's like you said at the start of all of this: it's ninety nine percent of the people, maybe even a, a bigger percentage, ninety nine point nine, who are being subjected to this constant surveillance, while those the tiny minority who are committing the large number of offenses are basically skating around this. They aren't on, on radar. They aren't driving uh, their own vehicles. They, they aren't doing uh, these kinds of activities where they're going to be picked up by such a system. It's about tracking everybody else, is what my opinion is. And it's, it's far too common and far too glib to just say, well, this is, if you're not, if you haven't done something wrong, you shouldn't be worried.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's what they say. If you haven't done something wrong, you shouldn't be worried. But the thing is, uh, somehow we have to get to the uh, details of how they got there and the
2: real reasons for doing it. And and Plus uh, and well, Kafka just- and, and Orwell again. It's the creeping. Uh the boot on the throat thing. Yeah. You know, you you yeah. you just accept a little bit more control for a little bit more yeah. security and pretty soon it's all about security and control and not about individual yeah. rights and freedoms, yeah. which I think are an essential element of our Western society. Okay, so uh
1: James, this uh scanning and then, and then uh holding it in the holding it in the uh computers for some 20 years or something um, what do you think about that do you think that we need to do that that we need to pay 90 uh, some odd thousand dollars a year for a police officer i don't know if we pay for the vehicle uh, but we certainly pay for all the the, the benefits so we're up to two hundred thousand dollars a year for so them to drive to around to the vehicle. The
4: thing in society where you've got, you know, more surveillance of average people and you've got less surveillance of what's going on in government.
1: Yeah. You
4: know, like at one point you used to be able to find out decisions that were made, letters, things like that, internal communications would, would just be released. You just have to call them up and ask for that stuff. Now you got to file freedom of information requests. Now you got to pay money for those freedom of information requests. You know, there's there's so much going on in government that uh, the public doesn't know about, and there's no surveillance going on there, right? Like, why don't we set up some of these uh, police cameras in the halls of the bureaucracy? And better yet, what about these uh, large corporations that are running roughshod over our communities that that have monopoly power positions that you know use taxpayer dollars all the time to to make uh, money for their billionaire owners? There's no surveillance of these guys. You know well, what it might about be uh, all, well, not not really, or like yeah. the pollution that these pulp mills are, are oh, spitting no, out no. into the to the rivers. No. Where's the uh, police cameras on that stuff? I mean, these are these are crimes of much more significance than than uh, things are trying to bust the average person for. And you don't see that kind of surveillance. You don't see so that kind got, of oversight. We got, we so got so I think there's a
1: complete mismatch. And, <laughs> we got uh, pe- we got people fishing in the rivers, and that maybe we should put surveillance cameras on the trees to surveil hunters oh, and fishers and right, all that's already that happens.
2: Well so I've been out there the CEOs are out there lots
1: of times. The only one I know who puts cameras out in the <laughs> bush and get pictures of animals is Mr Skake he likes that.
2: Well I always I, I like to use game cameras myself and one of the things that was recently uh, not allowed because of the tremendous advantage it gives to hunters is the use of wireless cameras in in, in hunting activities. You can't you can't have a camera have your cell phone send you a signal, and there's a your your prize moose is standing there, and then you beetle on out to your where your camera is, and know because you know your moose is there. You, that's not on anymore. You have to actually physically go and check your cameras. And I'm, I'm I think that's a, a form of surveillance too. And I don't know we might get some people who say the moose have rights too, or or something like that. How, however, uh, farmers do use these sorts of things for surveillance of their property, and and other property owners do the same kind of thing. I know in my own street. Uh, my neighbors are are pretty darn good about having cameras out there to see what 's going on and you know we get tons and tons of bear pictures we get a, a, a few little uh, problem individuals coming through the neighborhood checking doors and cars and that sort of thing and it's been a boon to neighborhood watch activities, yeah, but at the same time uh, it's you 've got that balance of where does this serve community benefit by preventing crime? And where does it interfere with a person's right to privacy about their own activities, movements, and and uh, a supposed right to travel freely without impe- impediment? It's really home. a it's a huge problem, and,
1: and it's affecting uh, employee uh, uh, employees who work for stores. They're being harassed by people, and so you got them on a camera. And you see somebody hit you over the head with a hammer. Well, thanks a lot. You know, I still get hit over the head
2: with a hammer. The camera didn't stop them just told me who hit me so and yeah. the resolution's often so poor that you can't even use it as, yeah. as a for yeah. evidence because everybody's you know you can buy the cheap stuff you're not getting the resolution you need to actually make use of it you're just we're
1: going to get into that with peter later on anyway on the uh what do, what do you call it cr
3: the central bank digital currencies yeah that's and another, surveillance another issues.
2: part
1: of it so,
3: so it's another tracking thing
1: yeah we're not going to get we're not going to get this done you know it's just because it's too big and uh But I wanted to touch on body cameras. James, you got an idea on that? What do you think of body cameras going around with police? It just started in uh, Vancouver this week or last week, I think.
4: Yeah, like I said last week, I mean, the moment you have police on the scene, uh, you've got Big Brother there, so I I don't see an issue with these body cameras on police. I think that's a form of surveillance that's good for accountability and, and good for the truth. I'll
1: go for a break now. Okay, we're going to go for a break then.
5: Tune in on Sunday mornings at 8.30 for a Let the Bible Speak radio broadcast. This is Pastor Andrew Simpson, and each week on our program we'll hear Christ Jesus being preached, gospel hymns being sung, and encouraging news from our churches in British Columbia. Our goal at Let the Bible Speak is to preach Christ in all His fullness to man in all His need. So tune in on Sunday mornings at 8.30 for a Let the Bible Speak, only here on 93.1. C F I S F M.
3: Top three food-related New Year's resolutions for 2024. Resolution number three. Eat healthy food that I enjoy eating. Let Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery help you out. You won't find healthier menu items than our soups, sandwiches, and baked goods anywhere. And our many satisfied customers have told us they eat here because they enjoy the food. Check us out for yourself. Your taste buds will be glad you did. Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave at 7th and Quebec.
0: Are you thinking of Selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250 617 7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467. Or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and
6: sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of flurries. Wind up to 15K, a high of minus 4, a wind chill to minus 9. Cloudy tonight with a 30% chance of flurries. More wind, a low of minus 7, a wind chill to minus 12. For Tuesday, cloudy with a 60% chance of flurries. Wind continuing, a high of minus 1, a wind chill to minus 8.
0: You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Okay, we're back, and uh, I'm just going to leave this surveillance thing alone because it's too big, and it's too serious, and we're not going to resolve it. We, we need uh, more people that are involved in what's going on, and, and Peter's going to come in with uh, giving us some idea what's happening in terms of, uh, what do you call it again, Peter? Central
3: Bank Digital currency.
1: Yeah, Central Bank Digital and Currency and Surveillance. So this, you know, and and this connects in with the Freedom March and and, uh, emergency uh, situation that uh, uh,
3: Prime Minister Trudeau called here a while back. So go ahead, Peter. Yeah, Eric, thanks. Uh, One of the concerns that's come up about surveillance, especially government surveillance, is about the possible adoption in various countries, in many countries actually, including Canada, of a central bank digital currency. The development of central bank digital currency has come up in the context of the massive technological change that's been happening in society that in fact is undermining and it's replacing the old financial and economic structures. Indeed we're experiencing the digitization of life and society itself. As one, one writer puts it, uh, he puts it quite well, the, the unification of finance and technology has allowed for new forms of trade, commerce and businesses. Everything from in the in the financial sector or the currency sector, everything from Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to central bank digital currencies. This unification of finance and technology gives us the ability to make purchases online, do banking from home, do taxes on our couches, use credit cards just about everywhere, transfer funds and operate more and more as if we had a cashless society. Of course, wherever we do, or whatever we do or, or wherever we go, we leave a digital trail. Now, central bank digital currencies ramp this whole process up in a big way. A central bank digital currency is a digital currency issued by a central bank, which uh, central banks are part of the state apparatus, and which is claimed to be much more efficient and cost effect, effective for the overall economy and financial sector. As the name suggests, Central bank digital currencies centralize the economic and financial activity of a country to a greater or lesser extent. It depends on the particular model. Now, one of the big selling points for people about these type of currencies is reliable and comprehensive deposit, of insur- deposit insurance. You know, for example, a lot of financial institutions only have partial deposit insurance if they go belly up or there's a bank run or whatever. Another uh, advantage or selling point uh, is protection and insurance against cybercrime, money laundering, and other risks, as well as more simplified and more efficient processes, including more efficient taxation. Another issue is monetary sovereignty. The country, i.e., the country has control over its monetary system at a time globalist private organizations such as big tech are threatening that sovereignty. You know, for example, Facebook tried to was trying to launch uh, its own currency, the Libra currency. In any case, it it can mean that just about everything you do in regards to finances in your life, from buying tomatoes at the grocery store to paying bills, becomes centralized data in the hands of the central bank, which is core, which of course is part of the state machine. And for some critics, therein lies the problem: with such information at its fingertips fingertips the state has then the ability to monitor and surveil everything you do financially speaking and could potentially use that power to punish discriminate against manipulate or track you with a push of a button i.e. there could be serious problems of the state abusing this power and using coercion against political opponents protesters or citizens critical of the government and so on This issue came up, you know, as you mentioned there, Eric, with the so-called Freedom Convoy a couple of years ago, when the federal government invoked the Emergencies Act and used this act against the leaders of this convoy to freeze 200 of their accounts involving their assets, including credit cards, banking, mortgage and vehicle payments, etc. Basically cutting them off from everything. You know, some would call it a form of civil death. And, it, and it's interest, But it's interesting that just a day or two after the invoking of the Emergencies Act, the federal government hastily withdrew it. Financial, uh, Various financial analysts believe that this was done because the bigwigs in the financial and banking sector got spooked and felt that this action by the government could potentially create a bad name in people's eyes for the proposed central bank digital currency that is currently under discussion. In fact, since then, the Trudeau's government's actions have soured a lot of people, both inside and outside the country, about these currencies. And, you know, the financial sector, the financiers, and all this—you know—it seems they're saying that this was a stupid move on the part of the Trudeau government. All that being said, does this mean that central bank digital currencies are inherently bad or dangerous? For example, President Donald Trump. Has said that these currencies are a form of tyranny and that it will strongly oppose them from being introduced in the U.S. On the other hand, China and some other capitalist countries are in the process of adopting digital banking models and see them the way of the future. In that regard, some, some would argue, rather than simply opposing these financial structures, it all depends on how these models are used or misused, who controls them, what safeguards are in place to protect people from government overreach and intrusive intrusive surveillance. In other words, how they can be used in a positive way. Fundamentally, it's who gets to decide whether they should be adopted by a country and what model that might be that can safeguard against state abuse. Uh, That becomes the issue and especially what input does the citizenry have in the decision whether pro or con these digital currencies. In other words, it's not not only a financial issue, but a democratic one, and it's one that is increasing on on the agenda. I expect it to be a, uh, an issue in the upcoming federal uh, election and uh, uh, other venues.
1: Well, if it's a if it's a corporate, uh, big government agenda, we won't hear too much about it until it's basically a done deal, because that's how they do business. That that whole thing, in my opinion, and James, you could t- take off on this one, and then. Uh, later on I want to get you in on this green inflation thing but uh, Joe and Jane's citizen doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, this is all the corporate agenda, it's all about uh, getting rid of jobs and, and maximizing profits and it's something that in this country if we don't stop it we're going to be in serious trouble because they do not have the right to do what they're doing just because it makes more money for them and uh, what do you think, James?
4: Well, I think you know the maybe maybe we need to look at uh, we need to look at how this policy could affect you know the the the, the huge accumulated kind of centralized uh, centers of financial um, accumulation. Like, with and I'm talking about a lot of these these offshore kind of places where you get uh, billionaires hiding their money, these tax havens, and that kind of thing. You know, there's a lot of big money floating around in a global economy that is kind of being legitimately done so and is is being done so outside of, of the parameters of, of taxation and accountability. And I think maybe for something like that, for, for these global financial flows, you know, a digital currency could maybe have some use. But, but when it comes down to the average uh, person... You know, I think there's there's huge room for abuse, like the points that Peter made about if you're if you're a political dissident, you know they could uh, use uh, a centralized um, digital currency to to crack down on you and use uh, use you know the threat of financial uh, um the, the the financial threat basically to pull you in line to the to the um, you know the government's uh, desired outcome. Uh, but as far as you know, on the, on the global level, like yeah, with these with these tax havens and whatnot, uh, I, I think there needs to be some some form of accountability there at the global level. Some kind of global treaty on this thing. There's a lot of money that that's uh, being abused like that.
1: Okay, we're gonna go for a break now. We get back, we'll give uh, Sheldon a quick talk on that, and then we're going to greedflation.
5: So, your Prince George Public Library invites you to come out and celebrate the rich tapestry of African and Caribbean history and culture. On February 24th, from 1 to 3, the downtown branch of the Public Library will be hosting a celebration of Black History Month. There will be a number of engaging cultural activities as people come together to honor and amplify black voices. A celebration of Black History Month, Saturday, February 24th, from 1 to 3, at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library.
7: Hi, I'm Darren Guest from Northland Dodge. People hate buying cars. I hate buying cars.
1: If you're holding off buying because you don't want to deal with the hassle, I'm here to make it easy for you. Northland Dodge has more trucks in stock than we have had in the past three years. Plus, we have a huge assortment of awesome used trucks and SUVs. No pressure, no hard sell. Stop by for a coffee and I'll help you find the vehicle that's right for you. I'm Darren Guest, Northland Dodge, dealer number 30501.
7: Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services, from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture
8: Center in the Victoria Medical Building,
7: call 250-562-6638.
8: There are so many ways to Enjoy the great taste of Boston Pizza? It's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George on Central Street West and Vance Road.
0: Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: We're back and just going to finish off uh, a discussion we're having there with uh, Sheldon. If you have something to add
2: to that. Uh, sure. I I think there's a, a broader discussion uh, out there, too, is about what the role of currency is, what the difference is between currency and money, and how we got here from the original times of where we used to barter and really it comes down to a means of control of uh, purchasing power because when you had barter systems it was pretty hard to tax somebody saying well here i'll fix your fence if you give me uh, milk and eggs right you could you could do that kind of thing where it started to become a problem is when you started bringing in uh commodities that were not so easily transferred like a gas station uh couldn't really take uh, chickens and eggs to fill your tank with gas because they had to pay money to a larger entity that was producing this, this fuel. So as soon as you start getting uh, dependency relationships on things that you need a lot of on a regular basis, the barter system breaks down fairly quickly. So you get... Uh, the replacement of bartering because it's hard to tax, hard to track and you you get it, the thing of using money, the cash in circulation uh, and money is basically anything that's standardized and accepted as a form of payment for a service or a, or a product or some sort of debt now it's a little bit different than currency because currency um, what's the best way to explain it, a numerical form of money which is really quite detached from commodities, and it's only usable for exchanges. And if you have times of economic turmoil, as we saw in the 1920s, 1930s, and in Europe and and around the world, then the currency loses its value very quickly. And that can have a huge effect on a lot of things. But money, in terms of things that are coinage, which are attached to a commodity like gold or silver, don't lose their, their value. Like the same piece of gold two thousand years ago has pretty much the same ability to get the same value that it had back then. It still has it'll buy you the same things, like it, in terms of a commodity exchange. And how we ended up where we are is you started getting into things like promissory notes where you we said, Well I promise to pay and it was you know to re- re- do that so i don't know if that adds to the discussion but yeah. i think the digital currencies are as, as stated it's a means of tracking what you do and controlling how you spend your money and uh, you see it used in places like china as, as developing a social credit score so if you're buying things they don't want you to buy they shut down your ability to buy anything which yeah. i think is pretty scary
1: okay i don't uh, you know i mean i agree with a lot of that but but mostly it's you know, I, mean, I, I like to try to be as simple as possible. If it's driven by the big boys, it's good for the big boys. And you remember the old uh, uh, comic strip there? Uh, uh, I forget the gal's name now. I guess, but anyway, the guy that drove her around was Daddy Warbucks, big uh, Cadillac convertible, whatever. And he would hit the table with his fist and say, what's good for uh, General Bull Moose is good for the country. Well, General Bullmoose was was actually a, a spin-off or, or a shot at General Motors. And what's good for General Motors is good for the country. We haven't gone too far away from that. We still have that sort of mentality that if it's good for the big boys, it's good for the country. So I want to get into greenflation here with James. He brought it up, and it's an interesting subject. Um, and I'll let him hammer it out for a while. i got a few little shots about that too, so go ahead James. Yeah, so this is an article that was in uh, Fortune, I think it came
4: out uh, yesterday or or, uh, the day before but I'd uh, encourage folks to check it out basically what they did is uh, some academics compared uh, the wholesale price in the economy with what the uh, consumer price is uh, when when you go into the store and buy stuff and a lot of the inflation uh, in fact I said 53% of the inflation uh, is attributable to corporate greed uh, which is which would be to say, you know, the 11% inflation rate that we we saw, you know, that should have been around 5 or 6% uh instead of the 11%. And this is basically uh scientifically attributed to these corporations cashing in on the inflation. So there's a little bit of inflationary pressure and these these corporations are like, "Hey, let's uh let's take advantage of that. Let's uh let's take whatever that inflation rate and let's double it." So you know, it, it raises huge concerns about how, how capitalism isn't working, how the free market economy isn't working anymore. Uh, if we had competition and you had multiple corporations in, in certain spheres of the economy competing with, with each other, they wouldn't get away with it. You know, they, they would, uh, the other company in that, that sector would undercut them and say, hey, you know what, we're going to just uh, jack up our prices according to what the actual cost of uh, the increased material supply costs are, and that's what the price of the product is going to be, and they keep uh, the other producers honest. And unfortunately, we don't have that in a lot of these sectors anymore. We have huge corporations, uh, sometimes just uh, one or two, or if it's not just a single monopoly, it's called uh, an oligopoly, where you've got maybe a couple of them. And you know when you've only got a couple actors in a sector, it becomes easier for these these uh, these actors to kind of collude and to say, hey, you know, if um, buddy over there is an increase in the prices, well, we aren't. You know, a lot of times you need more than uh, two companies to to create competition. You need three, four, or five of them. Uh, more the more the merrier. Now the problem with uh, with that and in kind of the neoliberal sphere of thinking, uh, kind of. If you go back to the Chicago School of Economics, I think that's where this idea came in, uh, which was that uh, these monopolies are more efficient than having a competitive economy. And it's kind of you see that here locally in Prince George. If you've got um, one sawmill, a big super mill, they can produce a board cheaper than having four or five little mills so that 's the the Chicago School would argue of economics that hey this uh, this big super mill monopoly is actually more efficient, so this is the kind of thing that we should encourage as a society, and this idea is actually kind of uh, taken off and I, I think it's the underlying reason why we have things like loblaws dominating our food our, our food retail situation uh, why we have things like you know two or three telecommunications companies basically running running our whole telecommunications network in this in this country and this this idea you know it's got to get thrown into the dumpster bin of history and we've got to go back uh, to the notion that smaller is better because it creates more competition and you don't have uh, a situation where the efficiency gains aren't being uh, trickled down to the public. And that's another important point is, you know, when you do have a uh, something like a super mill producing a two-by-four at half the cost, well, you know, it's not like we're paying half the cost at the lumber store when we go to buy that two-by-four. It just means that profit it gets um, sucked up into the uh, corporate profits, into the pockets of the billionaires. So anyway, this... Uh, this story i think uh hopefully makes the rounds and and i think it should really drive uh, some new policies in this country and and really open people's eyes as to what's going on in our economy and why it's getting harder and harder to get by in the world
1: okay we're gonna go to break now then we'll come back and kick this around a little bit more he could be 30 he could be 50 life has aged him
0: beyond his years a shopping cart carries everything he owns here he comes toward you what you think you know about how he got here is probably wrong don't let homelessness assumptions get in the way of homelessness solutions go to canadacandoit.ca
7: help the canadian alliance to end homelessness the Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council is accepting applications from Indigenous and not-for-profit organizations serving Indigenous youth to host a sport development camp, coaching certification course, or official's training session. These are community-based programs ranging from one or two days to multiple weeks. Applications and full details are available through ispark.ca. That's i-s-p-a-r-c. Dot ca. The application deadline for 2024 second quarter programs and events is March
5: 31st. Miracle Theater's next show is A Comedy of Tenors by Ken Ludwig, starting March 13th. Shows are Tuesday through Saturday at 7.30, with Saturday and Sunday matinees at 2. Tickets are just $37.50, available at Books and Company, or order by phone at 250-563-6637. Written by Tony Award-winning playwright Ken Ludwig, A Comedy of Tenors is a comedic treasure not to be missed. A Comedy of Tenors by Ken Ludwig, starting March 13th at ArtSpace, a Miracle Theatre presentation. Forecast
6: from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of flurries. Wind up to 15K, a high of minus 4, a wind chill to minus 9. Cloudy tonight with a 30% chance of flurries. More wind, a low of minus 7, a wind chill to minus 12. For Tuesday, cloudy with a 60% chance of flurries. Wind continuing, a high of minus 1, a wind chill to minus 8.
0: It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS FM. Yeah,
1: Okay, we're back and we're on this greedflation thing now. <clears throat> we're gonna discuss it a bit more. I'll go to Sheldon here shortly. Sure. But, uh, just before we go, Sheldon, the, uh, we can't, in my opinion, be blaming people all the time for, for what's going wrong. I'm a, a strong believer that it's up to us to do something. We should be doing something. When I'm going through a store and they're charging a price too high for something, I don't buy it. And if it happens to be a save-on storm, we all get on Jimmy Patterson. He creates more jobs in British Columbia than anybody else. We just haven't taken the time to understand what he does, what his business is, what his business model is. So we operate under the assumption that he's big capital, this and that. But in actual fact, all his businesses are private. They're not publicly traded. All the problems we're discussing come from publicly traded companies not from private companies. Private companies actually create jobs. Public companies get rid of jobs. So I'm going to just ask this question. During the COVID and all the problems we went through in the last three or four years, how often did we blame um, uh, cities and businesses and that of gouging as being the responsible one of the major responsible uh, people for this happening. I never heard the word gouging actually used publicly, other than I used it all myself, because to me it's obvious. It's gouging, because you don't have to be a genius to figure out what's going on. They they go over to, say, China, they build a big corporation over there, they bring the stuff back cheap, and then they turn around and mark it up four or five, six hundred percent, and we go down and buy it because we don't know any better. And then they blame the Chinese for bringing over the cheap stuff. But they don't mention the fact that it's American money, uh, the $600 trillion a year that the Americans invest in China to build this stuff for them. they used to do it in Mexico. And then, you know, we don't bother checking that stuff out. Where was our politicians when all this gouging was going on? I never heard a word. Where's the city people? We're paying, They're paying the same price that we are four or five, six times more for something that we should be paying. It's not worth that. We shouldn't buy it. And when it comes to saving money, we should be on the phone saying, if you don't come down on your price, we're buying from someplace else. Even if we have to build it ourselves, we're going to get out of this rat race that's costing us money.
2: So go ahead. Well, being a hardware store conservative and understanding the problems of limited purchasing power when you're buying uh, products to sell, if you if you're not a, a larger chain or an organization you have a lot of challenges in being able to provide prices that are competitive with larger companies that can buy huge quantities and sell them for less because they're getting a break on the on the on the cost so from my perspective i try to buy locally even though I know the price is going to be a lot higher in some cases than it is when I go on Amazon or if I, if I do some sort of an internet search. And I, I've certainly been someone to buy things online as well if I can't find them locally. But I usually have a look locally first from my perspective. Now, some of the smaller businesses have done things like form chains. They'll form, form purchasing chains so that all these little independent businesses can get similar or close to similar buying power, has larger uh, corporate entities, and thus become more competitive. Because the idea is that capitalism benefits best when there is competition, because competition forces merit, and merit makes the better products, the better services all be uh, rising to the top. Where you get a problem is when that that uh that competition leads to the elimination of competitors so you only have one left and you have one choice well that monopoly capitalism creates all kinds of problems, which I think James uh, uh, certainly alluded to in his his raising of the Chicago school and its uh, basic attack on the uh, the, the more social uh, oriented economic theory of John Maynard Keynes, which came about in the nineteen 19- 20s and 30s as exemplified by Roosevelt's New Deal which itself didn't end the Great Depression The, the but Keynes was probably had, had a point in terms of what ended the, what ends those kinds of times of uncertainty was massive government intervention in the economy and that only happened because of World War II and it's a, it's a kind of a terrible tragedy to indicate that an economic crisis was only averted by a bigger crisis and one that had a huge cost in terms of lives and economy and philosophy and and ideology and everything else that was associated with the turmoil of those times led to a, a, a rejuvenation in the 50s and 60s where everybody started to buy stuff that they probably didn't really need and they created things that people really didn't need in terms of technology because it fostered new forms of competition. And so as you get a new niche, you build new competition, and then you, you have these sort of waves where competition narrows, and then somebody invents something new, and then you get more ability to, to compete, yeah. I think. But, but what, we, what we end up with is, uh, you know, we get into the philosophical
1: deals, and we have discussions for six or seven or eight years on the different things we can do, and yada, yada, yada. I knew this old uh, Ukrainian guy said, if you want potatoes, grab a, grab a shovel. You go plant them, you grow them, you eat them. And and we don't have to go along with all this stuff they're putting out there. It's just that we do because we're too lazy to find out what's going on. Like, if you're paying $90,000 for a pickup truck... The first question we should be asking is why are we paying that amount of money? And then the next thing we should do is find out where it's built, where it's assembled, what the transportation costs are, what the markup is, and then so we have the ability to talk to the salesman and say, no, you've marked that thing up or it's marked up $40,000. And uh, why would I want to give you $40,000 for nothing? Now, I'm going to give it back to uh, uh, James here in a second. But the... Uh, The the greenflation sort of thing, like we're just not—we're not doing our job as citizens, you know. I mean, I walk like I said. I walk by things and say, "Not today. I'm not buying that. I am not paying that price for that product." And I don't care if you have to throw it in the dump, but I'm not going to make you rich just because you're going to make it. Get up in the morning, and say, "I'm going to raise the price ten percent." That's not good enough. I got to have some value in there for me. So, De Beers came on here, uh, last week or the week before. And guess what? 2023 was the worst, uh, sales they ever had in their history. They lost nothing, they lost billions of dollars. And of course, one of the first things to go in these types of situations we're getting into is jewelry and those types of things. So they backed away. They got a 60% sale on all their jewelry. They got a sign up in all the jewelry stores. No payments until 2025, and now they're going to claw their way back. But they got there by charging 800 to 1,600% markup on their product. And nothing to do with me. They did it all themselves. So we're going to take a break
8: now, and then we'll come back with James and, and work a little more on greedflation. Be on hand April 5th at the Prince George Playhouse to see three stunningly innovative creations by Ballet Colonna. Tapas and Other Works is the creation of visionary choreographer Cameron Fraser Monroe, set to several songs by Polaris Prize-winning composer and singer Jeremy Dutcher, featuring influences of classical ballet training, knowledge of traditional Coast Salish, grass, hoop dance, and contemporary dance. Tapas and Other Works from Ballet Colonna, April 5th at the Playhouse. Tickets are available at ticketsnorth.ca.
5: Creative teens are encouraged to bring your artwork to the library Friday, February 9th, or Saturday, February 10th to take part in the Teen Art Showcase. The art will be showcased February 24th to April 4th, followed by a reception with awards on Saturday, April 6th. Full details are available at the library and online at pgpl.ca. The Teen Art Showcase, February 24th to April 4th, with an awards and teen art reception on Saturday, April 6th, at your Prince George Public Library.
7: The City of Prince George has four two year positions available on the Heritage Commission. The Commission is responsible for undertaking heritage education and awareness activities as well as reporting to City Council and staff. Applications can be submitted online through the Permits and Applications link under City Services at PrinceGeorge.ca. Dropped off at City Hall or emailed to legislative services at princegeorge.ca. The application deadline for a position on the Heritage Commission is 5 p.m. February 8th. Your Prince George
6: Symphony Orchestra's next main stage concert is Discovery, Dvorak New World Saturday, February the 10th at Vanier Hall. Hosted by Michael Hall, Discovery, Dvorak New World is a multimedia exploration of this popular romantic symphony, a great starting point for newcomers and a deeper listening experience for connoisseurs. Ticket and event details are available at pgso.com. Discovery, Dvorak New World from your Prince George Symphony Orchestra
0: Saturday, February 10th at Vanier Hall. Featuring the people who make things happen and Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: So we're back and we're still on Greedflation and I'm going to ask James to, if he's got an idea why uh, we never used the word gouging in, uh, in uh, this debate for the first three or four years, when we know intuitively a lot of us that that's what it is. It's gouging. It's nothing else but gouging and and marking up prices for no other reason than you have the ability to do it. And so you say, okay, I think we'll mark up the cost of fuel by 3% this week. And so they mark it up. And then so we get a increase in fuel charge. So the guy says, well, I paid more for my transportation. So he marks it up. And we end up paying for it. But the trouble is we don't know if fuel went up. We don't know what their fuel charge are. We don't know what... Yeah, uh, formula they used to arrive at it. We just accepted that fuel went up. It didn't. All the pe- the people, things that we used to have to check all these things and say, you can't do that, are gone because they got rid of them all. Go ahead, Jay. What do you mean, got rid of what? Oh, we used to have the Canadian Freight Association. We had the Canadian Card and Bureau. If people were shif- shifting around and increasing their rates without a, a case... To justify it, you know what? So you can't do it. You mean there was regulation on prices? Yes, not prices. Regulations on how you ran a business and how you raised your taxes. You can't. Like they had a deal as an example. A guy pays for a freight car to come from Montreal to Vancouver. This Canadian Freight Association opens the door. He's got a Volkswagen in between the uh, canned milk or something. He pays the, the agreed rate for the and milk. It's a Volkswagen here for nothing. He says, you can't do that. So he charges him $1,500, 2000 for the car, and the guy's got to pay the going rate. We used to have people that would, did that because we know that if you don't have those checks and balances, they're going to do that. See, see well, I, you're I'm, saying that you had transparency in the marketplace. Yeah. And the hidden hand of the
4: market would ensure that you had the lowest cost for... For the uh, producers, or you know, the the clients, or whatever, and we don't have that anymore because a lot of this uh, the warehousing is all being vertically integrated by these big corporations. You know, there's no more centralized warehousing where little grocery stores could source their uh, their groceries. There's well, you got shoppers wholesalers. That's it in this town. You know, you used to have way more, like you say, saying Eric, and now it's just basically the Savon truck comes up from Vancouver with all the food for the Savon store, and there's nobody else that's kind of allowed to get in on that game. Uh, so I, I think vertical integration of the supply chains is is a huge part of this, and and it has to do with uh, the efficiency of these big uh, corporations. You know, that so uh, once you get to a certain size, you can get rid of all the middlemen, you can get rid of all the warehousing, and you can and you can do all that uh, for yourself. You know, I just want to go back to a point you raised there, Eric, about uh, Jimmy Pattison, how he makes all these jobs for British Columbians, and and uh, you know, let's not forget how Jimmy Pattison got started, which was in the car uh, sales business. And if you want to look at uh, a classic case of a monopoly kind of um, uh, cooked marketplace, look no further than uh, the auto dealership system in North America. You know, from day one, this was always about controlling the marketplace, controlling access to that marketplace. And not allowing competition. I mean, if you if you look at the rules, uh, you can't just go and uh, open up a Honda dealership in this town, right? That's uh, not just uh, because Honda doesn't like that. It's also because I don't think Honda would like that. It's actually the Automotor Dealers Association uh, and the rules. They actually have their own legislation and they can govern uh, who gets to compete all right so that's how jimmy Patterson got his start that's why he's a billionaire is because he owns something like 30 auto dealerships and these are just uh, licenses to print money because there's no competition i mean it's the whole this is the whole problem with uh, the, the with with society and our economy is that basically uh capitalism has morphed from uh this uh competitive marketplace where the free hand of the market and and uh you know, and all that would keep all the producers uh, honest, and we've lost that. Okay, it's it's basically a, like Bernie Sanders has been going on for years. It's a it's a cooked economy. It's a rigged economy, and it's rigged uh, against the interests of us of of the average consumer. And even if you wanted to. uh Make stuff with your own hands there 's a whole suite of rules and regulations that prevent that from happening. If you want to open up your own sawmill, uh, good luck with that. if you want to open up well your own car dealership, good luck with that if you want to open up your own grocery store you know good luck with that there's all sorts of of rules and regulations that are in place that are designed to protect but the monopoly position of these big corporate powers and that 's the way that the leadership that 's the way that the unions with all of their uh investments and their pensions invested in the stock market. That's the way they all like it, because uh, it, the 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 beauty of this whole crooked crony capitalist monopolized system is, whoever has shares benefits from it. Because the more profits these monopolies make, the more money people can make for sitting on their asses not doing anything. That's that's the whole beauty of it, right? So the, you've, got, you've got a whole class of society uh, that should be opposed to this that are actually bought into it. And I'm looking at the labor unions and the pension funds and all that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's plain as, as plain as I can see. Ultimately, we're lazy. Okay. We want to get free money from doing nothing and having shares in these big monopolies is a great way to do that. Okay. The reality is we need to have people that are out there competing, working, uh, working for, you know, in a pure competitive economy, you don't really have profits. That's what people don't forget. You've got enough money to keep the farm going. You've got enough money to keep it going, uh, to invest in it. Okay. But having crazy profits cream off the top. Where you're getting all this surplus money? That's not supposed to happen. Okay, that's that's uh, and what we have right now, this greedflation article, we've got record corporate profits. So yeah, there's a connection here, you guys. Okay, the more money and these corporations are getting for nothing, uh, the the more the,
1: the worse off the rest of us are going to be. Well, firstly, you know, just to get some of this stuff straightened, uh, Jimmy Patterson already started. He took a card to school, and he sold it. There was a card that he. He was driving himself, and he sold it. He found out that if you sell cars, you can make money. So then he, for the rest of the time he went to school, he sold cars all the time. So they, right. they, the cars. question went, no, quite a few. The question was, if you want to get a car, get a hold of Jimmy, because... He buys and sells cars. Eventually, he got a dealership, then he got more dealerships. And that's how he made his money. He didn't start at the top and shrink down. He started at the bottom and built up. And we need more people in this country that do that because there's no money in, in the Triple B. Bitch Bailey A complained. They don't pay you for that. And they won't give you potatoes either. So we got to take a break here. We're uh, we just about finished?
2: Okay, we're going to wrap her up. Sorry there, uh, Sheldon. Well, that's okay. I, I just want to say one thing, and that's profits depend on incentive and merit. Yeah. Okay, so we got it done.
0: After Nine is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10 and for past shows, check out the archives link at cfisfm.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly supported by community-minded businesses like Windsor Plywood on OP Crescent.